Thank you, uh, Janet, for sharing um, your blessing with us. Um, Janet's um, desire to, to bless um, and, to, and to, to honor God and to use what God's given her um, to bless the church is manifest. She, last week she said, um, let me know when missions training starts because I'm going to make food every week for all the mission teams that are going. So those of you on the fence, <laughs> just kidding. Uh, last week, I was thinking a little bit about the promises of God and just a rich repository of treasure that is found in God's word, um, as it, especially as it relates to God's promises in our lives. And so I was thinking about this in, in light of our, our, our talk here this morning, and I, I asked some of our congregation folk, um, hey, can you tell me? What are some of your favorite promises of Scripture? And so they, they sent me um, some messages, and this is what some of them said. I'm not going to say their names. But as I was reading this, and I could, I could email this to you or, or text it to you, this, this list of verses later, but um, I just felt like I was sitting at, at, a, at a table and just feasting on spiritual blessing. As each text was coming in and they were telling me all of these things, Jeremiah 29, 11, right? For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, uh, plans to give you hope in a future, right? Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Psalm 23, 1, the Lord is my shepherd. There's nothing that I lack, nothing that I lack. Romans 8, 37 through 39 talks about nothing in all of creation, neither life nor death, nor angels or demons or present or the future, or anything else will ever be able to separate me from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. And as I'm reading these, just being filled, Isaiah 1, though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be washed white as snow. Though you may be as red as crimson, you will be uh, made new. Matthew eleven twenty eight, come to me all who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest, Jesus says. Romans 8, all of Romans 8, someone said. 2 Corinthians five seventeen. therefore, if anyone is in Christ, there's a new creation. The old is gone, and the new has come. Exodus three twelve. I will be with you, God promises to Moses. He promised to us. John three sixteen. whoever believes in Jesus will not perish, but have the life that is eternal. Psalm thirty four twenty two. I had to look this one up. The Lord redeems his servants. No one will be condemned who takes refuge in him. No one will be condemned who takes refuge in God. Joshua 1, 8 and 9, be strong and courageous, for I will go with you. I will take your hand and lead you. Matthew 6, 25 through 33, about trusting in God. John 14, 16, I will ask the Father and he will give you another counselor to be with you. James 1, 2 through 4, the testing of your faith, it produces perseverance and character within our lives. Lamentations three twenty two and, and 23, because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. His mercies are new every day. Great is your faithfulness, O God. Romans eight thirty two. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how much more will he not also along with him graciously give us all good things? And by the end of this time, my heart was just on fire. I was like worshiping God and thinking about the riches of the gospel. So much deeper, so much richer than just I'm forgiven because you were forsaken. So much more that God gives to us for us to enjoy and to live in. And as I think about the promises of God, a constant, you know, for, for many people, the favorite, one of the favorite promises in all the scripture 
um, comes from Romans chapter 8, 28. I'm going to read that, and that's going to kind of form the backdrop of what we're going to talk about today as we continue thinking, talking about this idea that it's all about Jesus. Um, this is what it says in Romans eight twenty eight. It says, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. This is a promise that a lot of people point to, a lot of people turn to, a lot of people hold on to. But it's a promise that not a lot of people really understand. And if we don't understand it, here's what can happen. This promise can be non-comforting at best, and it can make God seem like a liar at the worst. We go through situations in life, and maybe the ultimate in what we see as finality, right? Someone dies, and we don't see any reason. We don't see any purpose for it. And someone comes to us, and they say, oh, God works all things together for the good of those who love him. And I know that they're always well-meaning. But sometimes the heart is asking questions, but people are, t- are telling us answers to our head. And the head can't answer heart questions. And so I want to talk about this now. Because there will come a time when we feel like, well, is, is there anything really good happening out of all this? A lot of times our confusion comes because we confuse, in all things God works for the good of those who love him, we confuse that good with what we consider to be the good life. A life of happiness, perhaps. A life free of pain. Hey, when I signed up to, to follow Christ, I thought that my finances would be, would be all taken care of. I thought that the way that I planned life out, as long as I prayed about it, that it would happen that way. And a lot of times it doesn't happen that way. And so what is God talking about? Is he telling the truth? And if so, what does that mean? That he works all things together for the good of those who love him, been called according to his purpose. I think if we understand this, give us a lot more hope and give us a lot more ability to worship God in good times as well as in hard times. Exhibit A for Romans 8.28 is a man named Joseph. We're going to read from, uh, uh, from Genesis chapter 37. I'm going to just start out his story because his story spans chapter 37 to chapter 50. We're not in 14 chapters. We're not going to read it all. We don't have time. Nor under, am I under the assumption that we all know the story of Joseph. So what I'm going to do is just going to open it up by reading the first eight, cha- eight verses of this chapter, chapter 37. And then I'm going to try and explain and summarize in a nutshell a little bit about the story of Joseph. Because it's from this point on, right up until this point in time, we've seen Abraham, we've seen Isaac, and we've seen Jacob. And the promises of God given to them. But right now, there's, there's not much besides that. Starting in 37, Joseph's story begins. At the end of his story, at the end of Genesis, you see that the people of God have expanded. They're in Egypt and they're ready to become a nation. And so from here, the... the, the the redemptive story begins to escalate and unfold in rapid fashion throughout, throughout history. And so this is uh, Genesis 37. I'm going to read verses 1 through 8 here. This is God's word. Jacob lived in the land where his father had stayed, the land of Canaan. This is the account of Jacob. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Billah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives, and he brought their father a bad report about them now israel loved joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age 
and he made a richly ornamented robe for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him, could not speak a kind word to him. Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. Said to them, listen, to this. guys, check out this dream I had. We're all binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright. Ha uh-huh. ha, while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. Brother said to him, you, you, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. You got a dumb teenager here, right, just doing some stupid stuff. So here's Joseph. It says that Jacob loved Joseph more than all the others. You know why? What says he was born to him in his old age. Why was he born in his old age? Because, jo- uh, because Jacob had four wives. It says here he had uh, Billa and Zilpah. But we, if, you, if you follow the story of Jacob, you know that he had a, two other wives, the first two. One, the first one was a woman named Leah. Hey, Leah, and he did it. He, he was kind of, it's a long story, but he got tricked into marrying her, right? It wasn't, a, it wasn't a good thing. He got deceived, right? Jacob, the deceiver, uh, gets deceived by his uncle. He's, um, it, it's dark. They don't have electricity. He's drunk. They, she's got a veil over her face. He goes to sleep with her, and he wakes up, and he's like, holy cow, that's not the sister that I wanted to marry. And uh, her father, Laban's like, ha, I got you. Work seven more years, and I'll give you the one that you really wanted. And so he works seven more years, and he gets the one he really wanted. Her name is Rachel. Rachel was beautiful. She was kind of like, you know, Miss Ancient Near East. Everybody loved her. Everybody wanted to be with her. And so that's, that's the one Jacob wanted. But he ended up not getting her for a long time. And so the challenging thing was that Leah was able to have many, many children for Jacob, but Rachel couldn't. And so Jacob was sad because he loved Rachel more than he loved Leah, more than he loved the other two. So finally, finally, after many, many, many years, she gives birth to a son, and that son's name is Joseph. Good. Right? So because Joseph was a son born to the woman that he loved, born in his old age, that he waited for him, he loved him. And so he, out, out of 12, he shows his favoritism. He shows his love. This is bad parenting here. But he gets, all the other kids, he gets like, hey, thrift shop stuff, and then he gets this like beautiful, richly ornamented, multicolored, technicolor dream coat for Joseph. And Joseph's got, he's walking around. He's like strutting. He's like, yo. And then, to make matters worse, he has this dream. And that like, his brothers don't like him to begin with. And then he's like, I had this dream. Guys, you want to listen to this dream, y'all? <laughs> If he's smart, he just writes his dream down. He kind of tucks it in his pocket, some other robe that he has, and just kind of puts that colored coat away. But he's like, y'all, I, got, I had this crazy dream, and like, I'm ruling over you guys. And he says that they hated him, and they're upset at him. And so one day, for some reason, his brothers work in the fields. They do all this work, but Joseph just kind of hangs back. And, and so his dad's like, hey, Joseph, go check on them. And so he's like wearing his, his coat. He's like, what's up, y'all? Pops told me to come check on y'all. And so he checks on them, and, he, and they say, you know what? They say, here comes that dreamer. And they beat him up, and they leave him for dead. But then their oldest brother, oldest brother says, let's not, let's not kill him. Let's just let's sell him. <laughs> and so Joseph gets trafficked. He's a victim of human trafficking into these Ishmaelites. They sell him. He becomes a slave in Egypt. There's Joseph. He's a slave in Egypt. They take his, his, his uh, coat back to his dad, and they covered in blood, and they're like, oh, he must have gotten mauled by some animal. And so his dad thinks that his uh, favorite son is dead. 
So his dad, heartbroken, 11 brothers are like, we got rid of the dreamer. So here's Joseph. He's in Egypt now, far, far away. He's in Egypt. He does pretty well there. He's kind of like hanging out. He's a slave in the house of what well, the Pharaoh is, is the king of Egypt, right? He's the man and he's got these other officials. And there's this one official. His name was Potiphar. And so he, he worked in Potiphar's house. He lived in Potiphar's house and he worked well. He did a good job, did a great job. Actually, he got promoted. He got elevated. And, and, and Potiphar's wife, she was a bad woman. We don't know what her name is, so everyone just calls her Potiphar's wife. But she, like, looks at Joseph. It says he was handsome and ruddy. I don't know what ruddy means, but that's what he was. And and she's like, I like that guy. And she tries to seduce him. She, like, tries to get him to be with her. And and he runs away. And he says, I don't want want to do it. And and he runs away. And she feels ashamed. She feels embarrassed. She thinks he's going to tell. And so she tells her husband, Potiphar, she says, yo, your boy Joseph, he tried to make sport of me. He tried to play me. And so Potiphar gets angry, and he takes Joseph, and he throws him into prison. Right, so Joseph is in prison for something he didn't do, just innocently thrown in jail. And so he's in jail, and he's, he's, he does well in jail, whatever it means he does well. Maybe he cleaned the, the stalls well, or he, he, does a, he does a good job, and he's making lots of friends in, in jail. And so he, he meets these two people in particular. This one guy he becomes good friends with. I think he's, the, he's either the baker. The, I think he's the baker for, for Pharaoh. And um, this guy has a dream, and he says, I don't know what this dream is. And Joseph, by God's enablement, is able to interpret that dream. And this guy's really happy. And he says, you know what? You're going to get released, and Pharaoh's gonna, he's going to love you. And so this guy says to Joseph, he says, hey, you know what? I'm going to remember you. When I get out of here, I'm going I'm to I'm make sure I tell all the, the powers that be to let you go. And Joseph is really happy. He's like, this is my big break. But the dude forgets. And Joseph is just sitting here waiting. Hmm. <laughs> wonder when the call is going to come. Two years go by. He's like, man, maybe they forgot about me. <laughs> maybe they forgot about me. And all of a sudden, the most powerful man in the world, Pharaoh, starts getting, he's disturbed in the middle of the night with these dreams, like these dreams that he can't understand. And he's like, does anyone know how to, how to, how to interpret these dreams? And all of a sudden, the dude's like, oh my gosh, when I was in jail, there was this cat named Joseph, and he was able to interpret my dreams. You should go get him. And so he brings Joseph out. He tells him, I had this dream about seven fat cows and seven skinny cows. Tell me what it is. He said, there's going to be seven years of plenty, and then there's going to be a famine that's going to last seven years, and, and you need to be ready for it. And so Pharaoh's like, oh, my gosh, you're like the man. And so he says, you get out of jail free, and I'm going to make you into like the prime minister of Egypt so that you can create some kind of famine relief program so that you can store up these seven, during these seven years of plenty so that when the famine comes, we'll still have food. And Joseph's like, all right, I'll do it. And he becomes elevated to this position of prominence. Meanwhile, famine strikes in, in, in his family's hometown. And they, they're, they're like, the only food left is in Egypt because they're the only people that prepared for this. They're the only ones who knew. And so the brothers come, and they're scared because Egypt is a powerful people. And they bow down before this official asking for food, unbeknownst to them. It's their brother whom they left for dead, Joseph. The question is, what is he going to do with the power that has been given? He has the power to destroy them for all the wrong that they did to him. But instead, he forgives them, he graces them, he blesses them. And it's this amazing, I mean, for 14 chapters, it doesn't take like less than, a, less than a couple hours to read. You go home and read it. It's amazing, amazing story. But in this, we see one of the clearest examples 
of Romans 8.28. We know that in all things God works together for the, works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. So what does this mean? Okay, three things. I just want to share three things of what it is compared to what it's not. Okay, the first thing, this is what it means when we talk about good. It means that God's purpose will be fulfilled. It doesn't mean that our purpose will. How is it good if I don't get into that college? How's that good? I'll tell you how that's good because it's not your purpose that's being fulfilled that God means when he's talking about this is good. It's, it's his purpose. Fundamentally, the question is, the purpose of life, is it about us or is it about God? Right? For whom do we exist? Is it for us and our dreams and our pleasure and our security and our happiness, our comfort? Is it for us or is it for God? Fundamentally, who is this life all about? And I think if we can answer that question about ownership, answer that question about identity, about purpose, then it's going to go a long way to understanding what Romans 8.28 means. Here's Joseph, and he's trying to figure it out. If it was up to him, he would have never gone to these places, never done these things. He'd just been the favorite child of his father, never get beat up, never had that, that, that beautiful <laughs> coat taken from him. It wasn't about Joseph's purpose. It was ultimately about God's purpose that was being fulfilled. How is, my, how is it good if, uh, if my, my, my boyfriend, my girlfriend breaks up with me? How is it good if my GPA is, 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 half, a per, if, is half a point lower than I thought it would be? How is it good if, if my profits are, 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 are not the way that they were last year? How is it good if I don't get a tax return instead I have to give How is that good? Because it's God's purpose, not ours, that's being accomplished and fulfilled you know the bible says that life is like a story if we if we just unravel the story of uh, of history okay, who's it who's it about is it about any human being or is it about the one who's really who's like we say whose glory goes beyond all fame when kings will rise and fall there is a god who will continue to be he was and is and forever will be the story is not about us it's about God. Uh, human history is not divided time-wise by before uh, Sarah and after Sarah, before Greg and after Greg, before Josh and after Josh. It's, it's before Christ and during the time of our Lord. You, you want to know, is it, about, is it about you or is it about God? This sermon series says it's all about Jesus. It's about him. And we have to understand the difference between the hero and an extra in the story. Like, have you ever watched Star Wars? You get sad that this little Ewok died? Like, oh my gosh, the story, Star Wars is done now. What are you talking about? It's, a, it's an Ewok. There's like hundreds of them, like tons of them. They're cute, but they're, they're, it's, it's okay. Because it's not about the, the story's not about the Ewok. <laughs> it's about Darth Vader. It's about Luke Skywalker. It's about that, that family. It's about them. They're the hero. They're just, these guys are just extras. It's not about them. We don't get sad because an Ewok dies. Ultimately, we get sad because it's sad and they're cute and we love them, but, th- but it's not about them. And the sooner we, we realize that the story of our lives is not really about us, the sooner we're going to begin to understand what he's talking about. Let me, let, let me push this a little bit more. Another example. Say you're, you're in war, right? You're, you're, we're all engaged in war. We're enlisted in war. We fight, and some of us fight. Others don't fight, but we win the battle, right? We're fighting to, to free some, some oppressed nation, and we win all kinds of casualties. The war has just ended because we captured all the bad guys, and we're the victors. People are wounded. People are hurting. 
but there's celebration in our camp because we know that we've won the war. We're excited and we're, 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 we're just really just giving each other high fives and licking our wounds, but, but, but hopeful that a better tomorrow is coming. Then as we're sitting there in our camp, there's this one guy and he starts crying. He starts crying and he's like, it's the worst day of my life. Everything stinks. This thing's terrible. This is like, this is not what I, this is not what I signed up for. And, and you walk up to him and you're like, what's, what's the deal? Like we won, you're safe, you're alive, all your friends, all your family members are still alive, everybody's still good. We just accomplished this great mission. Why are you so upset? Like none of that stuff means any, none of that stuff matters, he says. I didn't even get to shoot a single gun. What are you thinking as you look at that person? Like, you're stupid. What are you talking about? How, how, are you ter- how is this about you all of a sudden? It's not about your purpose, about your desire. There's a far greater purpose at play here. And you got to be a part of that. Whether you shot your stinking gun or not it has nothing to do with it. Here's, that that might have been a, a, a bad example. So let me give you another one here. You're, you're at a birthday party. Okay, so we're at a birthday party. Anyone's birthday today? All right. Good. Chris' birthday today. Happy birthday, Chris. I say happy birthday, Chris. So we're at Chris's birthday party. We're all there. We bring our gifts. And then here's one guy, Stephen. Stephen rolls up there, and he, he looks at this tab- table where all these gifts are stacked, and he's looking around and picks them up, shaking them, and, and kind of examining all of them. And then he, he looks at every single one of them, and he throws that last one down, and he walks out. And he said, this party stinks. And so here you go chasing Stephen, and you're like, dude, what's the deal? What's wrong with you? He's like, I looked at all the presents. There wasn't a single present for me. What do you say? Of course not, because it's not your party. Not your party. A lot of times we think that this life is our party. We think it's about us. Until we get upset at God when things don't go our way. We think, how is God good in the midst of all of this? How is this good? You know, it's interesting because one of the things that Joseph understood at the end of it all in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20. This is awesome. I mean, after the years of being grizzled and all of, in the school of hard knocks, he says in Genesis 50, 20, this is what he says. When he meets his brothers and they, they, they fall down and, and he, he reveals his identity. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Joseph is saying, look, man, all the ups and downs of my life, all the junk that I went through, I can say that God is good because it's not about my purpose being accomplished. This is about God's God's purpose being accomplished. And he can say, this is good, because there's something greater going on. Some of you may be saying, okay, you know what? That's cool. That's great. That's fine. But what, is it, what in the world is that? Like, how is that good for me if God's purpose is being accomplished? Here's what, I'll tell you what. Read Romans 8.28 again. Let me, you want this promise to be yours. Let me tell you. It, it says, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of who? Right? Of those who love him. Yeah, of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. This promise is, is only good 
It says, for those who love him. If you don't love God, if you don't love God, then this promise isn't for you. That's it. I mean, it's not me saying this is what God says. God works for the good of those who love him. So if you love him, then you can hang your life under this massive promise that death, in death, in life, in, in, in hardship, in trial, in cars breaking down, in any of that stuff, under this umbrella, we can find comfort, we can find goodness if we love God. If you don't love God, then this promise isn't for you. And it's not, it's not all going to work out for your good. That's what God's word is saying. It says, but if you love God, if you love God, then you will want his purpose to be accomplished even at cost to your life. You believe it? This is, this is how I know you believe it. You know why? Because you said it. You said it this morning. You said it this morning. Your will above all else, my purpose remains, the art of losing myself in bringing you praise. I, we, we said it. And this is what he's talking about. This week, we all saw the perfection that is Yana Kim, didn't we? We did. <laughs> Amazing, graceful, all the superlatives you could heap upon it. That, that was her, the queen, Yana. I read this article that said that her biggest supporter is her mom. Did you guys read this? There's this viral article, 12 Facts You Didn't Know About Yana Kim. And it said her mom's name is Mihi Park or something like that. And it says that she, from the time she was young, took her daughter to every event, every practice, was constantly there. She would critique her. She would encourage her. She was so committed to her. She says that one day, one year, she forgot her husband's birthday because she was so committed to her daughter's schedule. And at the end, she said, I majored in Yana, what she said. And do you think she was happy? When her daughter received praise and her purpose was fulfilled, you think for a moment she regretted it? No, she didn't. Why? Because she loves her daughter. And when you love someone that deeply, you want their purpose to be accomplished. Your will above all else. My purpose wrapped up in his purpose. My purpose remains just losing myself. And just the art of losing myself in giving you praise. What does it mean that God works for the good of those who love him? The first thing that it means is that it's about his purpose being accomplished, not ours. And if we can settle that issue, it goes a long way in understanding what, how deep and how massive this promise is. This is the first thing. Second thing that we see here, the second thing that we see here, what does good mean? It means that we become more like Christ. doesn't mean that we're going to be happy. A lot of times it does, but that's not what his most important purpose for our lives is, not that we be happy. Romans eight twenty nine, the next verse. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son. And this is what it means when it talks about good. And that we are becoming more and more like Jesus. Right, the more we become like Jesus, the more the ups and downs of life don't phase us. Right, the more the ups and downs of life don't shake our faith, don't cripple our faith, don't bankrupt our allegiance to Christ. The more we become like him, right, this is good, God says. This is what he's talking about. 
not about our happiness. It's not about our comfort. It's about our Christ-likeness. It's about us becoming more and more like Jesus. That's what he's talking about. And Joseph, when he was 17, when we started this story, 17 years old, he was this brash, proud, boastful dreamer. Yo, look at me. Look at my coat. Listen to my dream. Y'all are going to bow down to me. That's who he was. And in order for, for his brothers, 11 brothers, to bow down to him, a lot needed to happen. He needed to become like Jesus. Because God always molds our character to suit our calling. You want to be used greatly for God? Your character has to be molded greatly by God. Because he doesn't want to have, you know, God's not interested in, he could, he, could, he could do whatever he wants, and he could use any means that he wants in order to accomplish that purpose. Not like he's like, oh, my gosh, I need to find someone to, uh, to, to, to lead worship today, and, oh, I can't find anyone, so I'll just, uh, if God can use anything. He could, he could do whatever he wants. He's not about using us, and then after we've done that task, he throws us away as if we're like a, a, a tissue that gets used and then gets thrown. He's not, in, he's not interested in that. He could use whatever he wants. So what is his his desire is that we become more like Christ so that we could show honor and glory and give that to God. The reason why Joseph went through all of these things in life is in order for him to become more like Christ, he needed to go through all of these seasons and all of these hardships. He needed to be thrown into the pit so that he can learn what it is to love his brothers unconditionally. They can learn what it is to forgive people. How can you forgive if you've never been hurt? And if Joseph was going to become more like Jesus, he needed to learn how to forgive. And so he went through hard times. He was thrown into that pit. He he, he was taken into part of his house so that he could learn how to endure temptation. How do you endure temptation? How do you overcome temptation unless temptation comes to you? That's why Jesus, he wasn't just like, oh, he can't be tempted, but he fought against every temptation and he overcame that. But Joseph had to learn integrity. He had to learn character. Nobody needed, nobody would have known if he had slept with this Potiphar's wife, but he said, no, I don't want to, I'm not going to defile myself. I'm not going to defile her. I'm not going to defile God in that way. He needed to learn integrity. He was thrown in jail and he innocently suffered so that he could learn what it is. He could learn what it is to be patient, to be a victim of injustice. So he could empathize with those who are hurting. He could empathize with those who are broken. He needed to learn what it is to be able to serve and not be recognized for it. Because that's what Jesus would have us do. And not so that we could serve, so that people would applaud us and pat us on the back and say, you are awesome. But to be able to do these things without ever being recognized for it. This is what God was doing in him. And then he was finally, after all that, he was elevated into a place of prominence so that he could be used by God to use his power to fight for the oppressed rather than to use his power to oppress those under him. Because you see, we don't learn how to love by reading about it in a textbook. We learn how to love by being in relationship with people that God's called us to love that we have a hard time loving. We don't learn faithfulness when everything is going well and everything is easy. We don't learn trust when everything is going well. We learn to trust God when things are hard and all the other things are stripped from us so that we realize that our trust is in God himself 
and not in his gifts that he gives to us or in the answers that he gives to us. Our trust is in God himself who has proven himself to be faithful. We have to go through these things because we can't learn them apart from the school, the classroom of life. How do we learn to empathize with somebody? To mourn with those who mourn. Not by reading that we should do that. It's about us experiencing grief, experiencing loss, so that when somebody experiences that, we can feel the same thing for them and we can enter into that place and be there with them. See, the good that God is accomplishing in your life is he's making you and me more like Jesus. That's the good. It's not about being happy. It's not about being, being comfortable. A lot of, a lot of y'all have been through some really hard times. And some of you are at the tail end of it. Some of you are in the thick of it. But please know that God is working in you to make you more like Jesus. Because there's a purpose that he wants to accomplish in and through your life. God is, is working. And in Genesis 49, in, in one of these passages, uh, Joseph says, God sent me into these places. That God was purposefully putting him into these places so that he could become this person of influence, so that he could lead many people to find life when only death reigned. God is molding us. He's making us to be more like Christ. Last thing that we see, last thing then. What does it mean that God is good? It means that his presence is always with us. It doesn't mean that we'll have all the answers. means his presence will be with us. It doesn't mean that we'll have all the answers. And the, the pivotal chapter here, I think, is chapter 39, where Joseph is stripped away from his family. And, and the question is, what is he going to do? What's going to happen um, with, with Joseph? What's going to happen of him? Right? What, what's going to happen in this moment? And in chapter 39, it's amazing. It's amazing if you read through it. Um, if you do some literary analysis, you see four times within chapter 39 in verse 2, verse 3, verse 21, in verse 23, four times it says, The Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was with him. The Lord was with him. The Lord was with Joseph. What does it mean that God is good? It means that at no point in your journey has God left you. And his presence will go with us always. Philip Yancey does it. He, he talked about a friend of his that did this study. He was a, I think he was a, a, a doctor. He some, did some kind of an experiment. And they said that our ability to withstand suffering and hardship and trial exponentially increases when we know that someone is with us. So they did this experiment where someone had to put their feet in a, in a bucket of ice. And they timed how long they could do that. That was the baseline. And then the next thing they did is they put, they did the same thing, but they had one of their friends hold their hand. Said that the amount of time that they could endure that pain skyrocketed. Every single one of them skyrocketed when they knew that someone was holding their hand with them. How much more so we know that God is with us. Listen, man, I, we've, we've all been through hard times in life. And we ask the question of why. I think if, if, if 
if we knew all those why answers, if we knew the questions and every like satisfactorily in our head, we cognitively, we find rest because of these answers. But if God's presence is not with us and we don't know that, then I don't need any, I don't need answers. Aren't you? I mean, isn't that, isn't that the, isn't that the truth? We could have all the answers as to why this happened, why this hardship, why this tragedy, why this. And, but if God's not with us and we don't need those answers, don't mean anything to us. If God's presence is not with us. On the flip side, no matter what hardship, no matter what challenge we go through, I don't need, if I don't have any answers, if nothing makes sense, if I know in my heart of hearts the reality of God's presence, then I can endure that, I can go through that, I can be all right with that. Because at the end of it all, I need God a whole lot more than I need answers. I need comfort a whole lot more than I need answers. I need presence a whole lot more than I need answers. And I think if you're anything like me, if you're anything like what I think human nature is, that's the same thing with us. We don't need all of the answers. We need God to be with us and his promise to be near, that God will never leave us nor forsake us, even in the hard times. That's what God promises to us. When I say that all things will work out for good, that's one of the things he's saying, is that I'm going to be with you and I'm never going to leave you. I'm never going to leave you. Even though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will be with you so that you will fear no evil. You need fear no evil. During um, December, uh, UCF, Central Florida, they had um, outside of their arena, they had kind of set up this, this winter carnival kind of a deal. It was called Light Up UCF. And they had an ice skating rink that they set up there. And they had this ice slide that you could slide down and, they had horse-drawn carriage rides and, and, and other kind of carnival rides. And, and the highlight of all that was this Ferris wheel. And, you know, it's just really, it was really cool to be there. I was there with my family. And um, I said, you know, hey, Manny, do you want to ride on that, on that Ferris wheel? And she looked at it and big, just bright lights and huge all up in, in the air. And she said, no, it's, too, it's too, too big. It's too scary. I said, but Manny, it's, it's, not that, it's not that bad. Right? It doesn't go fast. It doesn't, you know, there's no drops. There's nothing like that. You don't go upside down. She said, no, I don't want to go. I don't want to go. I don't want to go. So, Manny, when, when Daddy was a little kid, um, Daddy used to love riding these rides. And so she said, are, are you going to go on with me? And I said, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll ride it with you. And so she was walking, and she was holding my hand, and I was following behind, and and she, I put her on the thing, on the, on the, on the car first to make sure that she didn't um, squeal, weasel her way out. I put her on there. And the whole time she, because I wasn't yet in there, and she's like, Daddy, Daddy, Daddy. And I was like, I'm coming, I'm coming. And, you know, when you get on these, these rides for two people, um, there's a certain ethic that you have, right? You kind of draw an imaginary line down the middle of the seat, and you sit on your side, and, and I'll sit on my side. But she was like, she gave me like this much room to sit. Because she wanted to be so close. And so I said, Manny, sweetie, you got to move over a little bit. And so she's like, can I sit on your lap? And I can't sit on my lap. I can't, we can't go anywhere. We're just, so I, I moved her over and I sat and um, I held her hand. I closed the door and she was a little bit kind of mortified by it. But we started going up and we went around one time and she realized, well, this isn't too bad. And so I had my, my phone and... Um, I wanted her to say hi to her mom and, and her, her, her brother and her grandma who were um, at Domino's Pizza eating. And so um, I was recording this video, and 
I didn't tell her this, but I was pretty scared. I don't know why. Maybe because I could see more, and, and she's like, her head is barely above the thing, so she's just seeing the lights going up and down. And I watched this video, and it's cute because she's so happy on it, but it's so embarrassing for me because, you know, I, when I'm scared, when I'm nervous, I say, like, really stupid things. So she's asking me all these questions, and the answers that I'm giving on this video, I would, I'm not going to play it for you because I have more dignity than that. But I'm giving the, like, the dumbest, lamest answer that don't say anything. She's like, Daddy, why are we going so high? And I said, because we're high in the air. <laughs> like, why are there so many lights? I said, because it's bright out here. And she didn't need answers. The only thing she needed, the only thing she needed was that, was that, was that Dad was with her. And if, and if I was with her, Everything else could be okay. We don't, need, we don't need answers at the end of it all. Answers can be helpful. But if we can settle the who issue, then the why issue, we don't really need to have that resolved. We can know that God is with us. We don't always need to have all the answers. See, God works all things together for the good of those who love him and called according to his purpose. And as you read the story of Joseph and as you put the pieces together, uh, you absolutely cannot, you cannot, cannot read the story of Joseph and not see the shadow of Christ looming large in it all. Jesus, too, was sold and betrayed, betrayed by his own people, betrayed by his brothers who didn't believe in him. He was the one who was innocently convicted of wrongdoing. He's the one who suffered. He's the one who was left languishing all by himself, forgotten, not only by, not only by people, but by the Father. He was sold, Joseph, for 20 pieces of silver, Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. And yet in the midst of that suffering, he was elevated to a position, the highest place, at the right hand of the King of Kings, And with that power, he had a choice. Will I destroy the people who have wronged me? Or will I use my power to forgive? That's what Jesus did for us. What Jesus did for us. All things work together for good. He said, your will, Jesus said, your will above all else. Not my will, but yours be done. To be more like Jesus and to be more just completely surrendered to the will of God. And yet Jesus was the one at the cross who was left abandoned, forsaken in order that we'd be forgiven, forsaken in order that we would know and we would have the assurance that because Jesus was abandoned, you and I will never be. Because he was abandoned in his moment of greatest weakness, in his greatest need. Why was he? Because that's what we deserved. He took that punishment for us so that in receiving the promise that he will never leave us nor forsake us, we receive the blessing that only Jesus deserved. The promise of God is for those who love him. If you love him, and called according to his purpose, if you do, then he will work all things together for your good. Let's pray.
As we uh, pray to, together, um, let's take a moment to, to express our faith, our trust in the Lord God. Maybe there are things going on in, in your life and you've been questioning God and asking him, why is it, why is it like this? Is not my life supposed to be happier? Isn't my life supposed to be easier since I followed you? Why isn't my purpose being accomplished? Why isn't my dreams, why aren't my dreams coming true? God is saying, I'm working in you to make you more like my son. Working in you that my purpose will be accomplished. For Joseph, it was a saving of souls. Maybe it's the same with us. Maybe God's working in us in order that through your hardship, your family members are going to come to know Jesus. Maybe through your hardship and through how you deal with that, your friends are going to see and they're going to come to know Jesus. There's a purpose that God is accomplishing in and through your challenges, in and through your hardship. And through it all, the promise is clear that he will never leave you nor forsake you presence will go with you. Let's respond by expressing our trust in God this morning, surrendering to him. Lord, help me to trust you. Help me to believe in you. Help me to know that you're doing a work that is good in me. And if you don't know Jesus, if you don't have a relationship with him, then this could be a time where you can put your trust in him and be the forgiver of your life, the savior of your soul, the ultimate expression of bad being turned to good with what happened to Jesus at the cross. He took your sin and took your place in order that you and I might have life. Invite Jesus into your life to be your Savior now. Let's pray for a couple moments and then I'll pray for us and then we'll continue to respond with a couple songs. Let's pray together for Let's continue.